The real lessons are learned from failure. We follow this theme leading into episode 3 of this podcast, where we interview wonderful entrepreneurs from around the world weekly on the worst deals they've ever been a part of. Welcome to the Worst Deal Ever Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Vicky Virtual Receptionist. We make you look good on the phone. We are also sponsored by Kara Virtual Assistants. You need stuff done? Let Kara help. For more information about Vicky Virtual and Kara Virtual Assistants, please visit the link provided on our website at www.theworstdealpodcast.com. For our third episode, we sit down with Jerry Chen, a Chinese-speaking American who deals wine in China. Jerry lives in San Francisco but exports wine to retailers in China. We had an interesting conversation about the wine industry, China, and being an American with clients abroad. This was my favorite interview so far, as I love wine, Jerry is hilarious, and I learned a lot. Without further ado, let's introduce Jerry Chen. Hey, Jerry, how you doing? Good, what's up? Nothing much. Thanks a lot for uh, being on uh, in the early part of this podcast, episode three. All right, my pleasure. Great, great. Yeah, now, so Jerry's a wine importer uh, in San Francisco. Not quite sure exactly what that means, but I'm sure you'll explain <laughs> it for me. <laughs> and uh, I'm really excited about what you have to say today. Yeah, so technically, I'm uh, I'm a wine exporter in San Francisco. And ah. I would be a wine importer in China. Okay. And do you spend any of your time in China? So when we were first getting started a couple of years ago, it was uh, about half the year, about six months out of the year, I was in China, oh, wow. uh, mainly up in North China. The uh, I call it the Siberia part of it. Huh. So, uh, yeah, you know, summers are blazingly hot. Winters are you know, terrifyingly cold. Right. So, you know, now that we've gotten everything set up on, on you know, here, you know, I got two kids now, so it's the nicer place to raise kids in the Bay Area. Right, right. And I imagine it's not the cheapest either. <laughs> well, nothing's cheap, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, uh, glad you're back from your Siberia days. And uh, <laughs> so, you know, I, I, uh, we just met, uh, you know, maybe a, a matter of months ago. Um, I feel like it's been a year, but maybe not. Yeah, probably. Uh, yeah, I, six months, six months to a year, something like that. Yeah. Well, uh, I enjoyed uh, talking to you about crypto and and other hilarious things. For sure. Um, and so again, thanks a lot for being on this interview. So, if you could tell me a little bit about uh, your story over the last uh, maybe five years or so, um, and we'll go from there. So, I'm sure you've heard of you know wine being like a big thing in China, right? There's there's like this um, there's like this documentary on Netflix that's uh, that's pretty popular. I, I actually can't think of the name right now, but uh, okay. <laughs> but but yeah, it's about wine. It's about French wine in China mostly, and like how how the the wine industry and in, imported wine industry in China has really picked up over the last couple of years. Okay. So I was there for, I guess what you could say is like the tail end of like the the massive growth phase. You know, so. Uh, by then, you know, people had heard about wine, you know, they knew French wine was like the, the best thing, you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, that's because of all the the other imported French brands that are in China, like Louis Vuitton, for example. So oh, wow. it made sense then that wine was also, you know, French wine was also like a big deal. So, you know, in, in the wine world, we, we say there's a, you know, like Chateau Lafitte, 
which is um, these days it's like 500 a bottle. Back then it was like a thousand to two thousand U.S. dollars per bottle, um, and that's in the U.S. You know, in China the prices are much higher. So, so you know, because you have like that, like celebrity to to you know carry the entire market, mm-hmm. you know, it ended up being like French wine was like 50 percent of all the imported wine. Um, back then, you know, American wine was just starting to get uh, some recognition. Mm-hmm. So, so I went in there, um, you know, me being the, the brash American, uh, I just go in and, and say, Hey, I got American wine. You know, I actually live there, you know, come, come try some of this good stuff, you know, and, and people, people were, were pretty receptive to it. Mm-hmm. But I mean, to get into the, the wine industry in China as an outsider was, uh, you know, has its, uh, ups and downs. Um, I mean, right. I was going to be a, a dentist before, but, um, uh, Oh man! But I got I got married to this you know Chinese girl, so so I, I wanted something that allowed us the flexibility to travel, you know. Okay. And you know, we we're talking back and forth, what can we do? And we settled on wine, you know. And so, um, I mean, there's there's one thing in China that that I like to say is um, there's nothing a Chinese person trusts less than another Chinese person. <laughs> it, it's probably I mean it's probably the same in a lot of cultures where it's like. You sort of know like the the shady stuff that you personally do, so you definitely don't trust a guy that's like you, you know, because they're gonna pull that same shady stuff on you. Right, right. And you know, in China, it's sort of like foreigners, you know, especially Americans. They're more of um, they're they're not gonna try to screw you on any deal, you know. And 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 sort of like the 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 basic idea, if you think about it, of of like Western culture is like. Mm-hmm. trust your neighbor you know and and everything is run on faith and everything is run on you know everyone is a good person whereas in china it's sort of like the opposite where it's like you assume they're going to screw you and it's a matter of like getting screwed less and trying to profit you know at, at the same time <laughs> so here i i show up as a as a chinese speaking american and you know for, for white americans that go into china it's difficult for them to communicate you know so a lot of business deals fall apart Right. And, and, you know, if it's like a Chinese Chinese, then they don't trust them to do good business. So I show up, I'm, I have the American culture and the American sourcing and I can communicate to them, you know, from a, on a, you know, person to person level. Right. So it was actually quite advantageous for me, you know, to, and, and I definitely abuse that to the maximum. <laughs> you know, like, course. oh, you know, sometimes you got to pretend that you don't know what they're saying just so you know you don't seem too local but then you kind of have to like nod along and play along you know but but you know it all worked out (laughs) (laughs) well you know in chicago i didn't quite have the whole you know trust your neighbor thing (laughs) (laughs) that's Um, true definitely in the suburbs (laughs) (laughs) my wife is uh from the suburbs and uh you know half of their families leave the garage cold for everyone in the neighborhood and (laughs) You know, it's so communal, but uh, here I, I don't really, I didn't have that type of upbringing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I mean, you, you actually realize that um, I feel like a lot of what's going on in China now is actually kind of similar to what goes on, you know, in some of the uh, the newer upstart places in the U.S. You know, it's sort of like um, they, they got all this money all of a sudden, mm-hmm. you know, from from, you know, crazy growth. And a lot of people haven't caught up i mean it's really tough to change like the culture of a person right so there's a lot of these things going on and that's what i found in wine actually it's because you know like everyone drinks 
you know, some form of alcohol in every country and every culture, right? But right. in China, you know, it's the, the national liquor is this thing called baijiu, which is basically uh, distilled uh, grain liquor. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's kind of like vodka, but it tastes like rubbing alcohol. So, so you know, to go from that to wine tasting is, is a really big jump. Right. You know? They have they have liquor and they have beer. Their beer is two um, percent ABV, tastes like water, you know. Oh. So so it's you know there's nothing in between. You right. know, of course there's there's like Korean soju and there's sake, but oh, and they don't like Japanese either. So you know there's there's not much of that there. <laughs> <laughs> so so wine, I mean, it was a was a really big difference, you know, and and because it's red, which is like a lucky color in China, mm-hmm. and because it's made of grapes oh you know it's a uh, fruit it's healthier and it's got antioxidants you know and, and the women love it because it's supposed to keep them young and oh, and now you know they see all these um reports of like oh it's a a glass of wine is the same thing as like an hour of exercise and you know there's a lot of this stuff going on and it's i'm, I'm pretty sure it's all french people doing it but <laughs> but regardless you know it's like a really big jump for these people to go from you know, like really, um, like blue collar. You know, hit the liquor bottle. And, you know, go go to work, work hard. You know, that, that kind of stuff. You know, mm-hmm. to a sort of like even even this um, like high end, um, relax, enjoy life. You know, take it slow kind of pace. Right. So, so you know, and and you know, not to mention that they have all this money. And and when I say money, I mean like literally, they went from nothing to millions and millions of u.s dollars right in a matter of like 10 years or less yeah it's disgusting yeah so so that's where you see like okay well when you when you want to buy like this new thing and you don't know anything about it and you don't have the time to go research it and you got all this money you're just gonna be like well just give me the best thing right right so what is best is you know started with like the really expensive french wine but then you actually if you actually have really expensive French wine as like a newer drinker. It's it's kind of like acidic and it's kind of like lean and it doesn't really taste like anything you had before because before you had that really heavy liquor, mm-hmm. you know, and or you had grape juice, you know, and this is kind of like a weird intermediate. So so that's where you hear all those stories of like, ah, just, you know, pour some uh, green tea in it or pour some Coke in it, you know, and that's, I mean, a lot of those are myths, but but you know, it did it did happen in the beginning. So so yeah, I mean, it's a it was a it was a weird balance to strike, you know. And and these days, you see wine in China. It's sort of like, um, you know, they they've sort of adopted it into their drinking habits. Okay. You know? But at the same time, you have guys like me showing up, or or you have um, you know like the 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 winemakers from from other countries show up, you know, to events, and they're you know gradually pulling them back to the other direction where oh you know you gotta pour a little bit at a time you gotta swirl it in your glass you know you gotta sip you gotta smell you gotta savor it right you know it's just a it's it's a big cultural shift for for a lot of the buyers for a lot of the consumers and it's it's a it's been a slow process but but it's getting there you know china has been just such an interesting just uh dynamic in all kinds of different industries and i didn't even consider that impact in terms of wine, two percent beer, which is worse than Miller Lite, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and then basically uh, Chinese moonshine, and then there's this, you know, quote unquote sophisticated intermediary for wine. Like that's that's crazy. 
Yeah. So, I mean, you know, you, you talk about Miller, uh, Budweiser is considered like middle-class beer, you huh. know, and, um, McDonald's and KFC are really popular. There are pizza huts really popular. there, And those are like, you know, things you go as a, a not, not like special, but you know, like you, it, it's a little more, it's a it's middle-class food. You know? it's, it's like going to a, a restaurant here. Right. So, you know, it's, it's, um, and, and then wine on top of, on top of all of that, wine has the, um, there's a, like a 50% import tax on it. So it actually ends up being really expensive. So like what we're having here as, you know, like a Napa Cabernet, mm-hmm. which is considered, you know, like a, like top of the line tier kind of wine in the U S mm-hmm. you know, we can get a bottle of it for, you know, say 20 bucks at Costco. Mm-hmm. And that same bottle in China would be the equivalent of about 50 U.S. dollars at least, you know. So it's – it's and, and then if you think about they're making less money there, you know, in terms of disposable income. Right. So they're paying, you know, effectively like 10x what we're paying here. So right. wine it really becomes like a special, you know, celebratory drink even. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a special event drink or it's something to like, you know, show off with. But – but again, you know, you're thinking they're they're pouring what is basically, you know, like daily, daily swill that that we're drinking here, you know, as special event wine. Right. Yeah. Wow. Because the you know the at the lower end of the spectrum, it's a lot lower than what is mostly considered impoverished in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So like here we have the the cheapest wine that we buy in the U.S. is two buck truck from Trader Joe's, right? Which is mm-hmm. These days it's like two fifty or three dollars per bottle, but but in China, I mean, because the U.S. is actually like the most expensive country in terms of labor and land and you know all, all these costs. But if you're talking about like what, what if we go to Argentina, mm-hmm. you know, or what if we go to like Central Spain where it's it's dirt cheap, you know, and you can actually like if you buy like a container of wine, you can actually get you know the the price per bottle is about zero point eight euro, you know, oh, man. which is which is what what is that these days like less less than a dollar right in in the U.S. So right. so there exists like a lower quality level or a lower price point, you know, and that's what the the you know average Joe in in Chinese is is drinking. All right, so this is the worst deal podcast, and I'm I'm really excited to hear more about that tour then. But I I want to obviously shift a bit. I'm sure there were some trials and tribulations on the way that you discovering what really seems like something that works very well. And tell me a little bit about that. So, um, you know, when you, when you first get into something, you don't know anything, right? There's, there's the research phase, right? Mm-hmm. So I did my research phase and a lot of, a lot of that stuff came from, um, you know, like the U S uh, the USDA, the, in the U S has, uh, departments in the U uh, in, in China mm-hmm. and they, you know, because there's a lot of um, imported. Besides wine, there's a lot of stuff that gets shipped over to China, like uh, like like beef or or corn, you know, etc. And mm-hmm. and the USDA has papers and research and market research and all that. So I did a lot of that, you know. And then you talk to talk to the people here in the U.S. with experience, you know, selling to China. But there comes a point when you do all the research and you get comfortable with the the terminology and you know, you, you know the the market numbers and all that there comes a point where you got to put down the money, right. And put in the work and actually execute on your plan. Right. So, so, you know, the, for us, the execution was, 
we hooked up with a um, an upstart franchise, you know, a, a company that was basically selling franchises, you know, and they were like a a, a wine chain, you know, that did imported wine. Okay. You know, so so that allowed us, you know, to get in quickly. It was just a matter of you know paying the franchise fee and then setting up the store. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, a lot of this I, I mentioned to you before that you know I got a lot of help, and this is like the major point of, of help that I got was my uh, my father in law. He owned like a like a little storefront that wasn't being used. Oh, okay. so so you know we just went in and, and used it. You know, and and in China it's like if you're just some dude that slings wine like that's not good enough and people won't trust you but if you have a store and the store looks respectable and you're able to speak with knowledge about your product then you know it adds a lot of legitimacy you know and you can take it to the next step right you know so so that's what we were thinking about you know and and so we we, you know we set up the store we brought in the wine and and this is where the um this is where the bad deal comes in is you know the agreement that we had with the hq was that I would sell them my wine that I picked mm-hmm. and, you know, they would filter it through their network of stores and, you know, a couple, couple dozen, uh, you know, set, you know, it was, it was almost like a hundred plus stores. So, you know, so they China. would distribute it that way. Yeah. And, and I thought like, wow, that's, that's pretty good. So, so that's a, that's a great way to get my you know foot in the door. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then like we would be uh, their franchise and sell their wine at our location. Okay, you know, so so I'm thinking like if I was the boss of this of this chain, and this American guy who's actually giving me really damn good wine at a really good price, mm-hmm. like that that sounds great, you know, and I can get a new franchise, and this guy's, you know, he's he's taking his time, he learned about wine, and you know, he's he's really excited to do it. So so then you know we we get all the way to to, to the point where like we we imported the wine ourselves. It's in it's in China. Right. So, so I'm talking like a container of wine. Wow. You know, a container is, you know, like six, 6,000 plus bottles, you know? So this is, you know, not, and this is all, all our money, you know, it's not a small amount of money to start with. Right. So, so then, okay, they're like, okay, well, well let's, let's taste it. And, and that was like the first thing I'm like, huh? Like we already paid you to set up the franchise. It's almost ready to go. And you want to like taste my wine. Right. When when the agreement was you just take it. Right. And, and, you know, you trust my my palate on this. Right. So I'm like, all right, whatever. Like, I'm confident in my in my product. Right. So then the CEO, he like he tastes the one. He's like, damn, this is really good. Mm-hmm. You know, and I told him the price. And he's like, all right. You know, so then we're like we, we signed the deal. Right. Like, but the deal, you know, and again, like my Chinese, my written and, and reading in, in Chinese is not great. You know, but then. You know, we have our guys look over. They're like, "Yeah, it looks fine." You know, so, but but there was no clause in that contract. You know, if that contract even means anything, that they would continue to distribute our wine. Oh, right. So so that's what happened. Is we ended up paying, you know, cash up front for the franchise for the wine for their wine that we're going to sell in our store, mm-hmm. and and then they were going to give us, or uh, they they were going to pay us for our wine in ninety days. Right. So, so, and, and this is, again, this is common in the wine industry, even in the U S but it's usually not 90 days, you know, it's usually 30 days. And that's after you've established good credit with, you know, the organization. So I'm thinking, man, 90 days. And then, and then at the same time, I'm hearing stories from other franchise owners and 
actually the owner of the building that that their headquarters was in mm-hmm. the owner of the building who was renting out his building to to this wine company to you know for their headquarters mm-hmm. was getting paid in wine so so i'm like what so so you know and and i'm looking at you know as the owner of the franchise i'm looking at the the actual price points and i you know because i can like i'm from another country i can look up the actual prices right. of of some of the wines that they're they're selling and and i'm i'm realizing that the wine that they're selling to me as the as the last uh, person to sell the wine is actually like they're actually getting it from an importer another importer in china who's getting it from an exporter in you know spain or france mm-hmm. who's getting it from the winery so that's like you know four or five different markups along the way and by the time it hits me i'm paying double at least what? from from you're paying what double the, you're paying double yeah, so, of what the wholesale should be yeah so so to me like i'm like man that's a really bad deal so and 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 then i hear you know like they're they're paying this this uh the, the building owner in the the landlord they're paying him in wine Mm. you know and they're using those marked up prices to pay him in wine so i'm like damn like what what if what if after 90 days they're not going to give me cash they're just going to pay me in credit for the wine that i'm going to continue to sell out of my store right so this is this whole thing just like smelled really bad to me and you know and and it was i mean it it came to a point where i'm like no we, we we just can't do this anymore you know so so you know we we, we went to the, the hq and we're like I, i'm not gonna do it like you either gotta pay us now or or that that's it like i'm not gonna you know take any of your wine anymore we're not gonna hang your logo or anything mm-hmm. so so yeah that's what ended up happening and i mean luckily and this is like the good thing that happened and, and maybe uh making making uh what do you call it? lemonade out of lemons right right is wine we, out of grapes <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> so, so, um, so, so I, I knew, you know, just from going to, to, you know, franchisee meetings, I, I connected with a lot of the other, um, franchise owners that mm-hmm. are in the neighboring provinces. Mm-hmm. And I found that, I mean, they had their issues too, but you know, a good half of them really wanted to stay in the wine industry because they really liked it. I mean, all of these guys basically uh, had made their money in some other industry. Okay. You know, and they, and being investors, they heard that wine was like a, you know, like a, the, the, the next big thing. Mm-hmm. So they're paying, you know, this, this company for the convenience of having all the management, having all the wines taken care of. But because they're savvy business owners, they, they, after they signed, they realized, wow, we kind of got swindled, you know, by, by these really high prices. Right. So that's when I came in and, and this is what I was talking about earlier as the, as the foreigner who can also speak Chinese and say like, Hey, I, I'm not going to screw you. Like literally look, here's the prices that I'm getting from the winery, you know, like let me make my markup, but that's it. You know, I'm going to ship you this wine here, taste it. It tastes awesome. Right. You know, it's better than this wine that you're selling at double the price that I'm, that I'm going to, I'm telling you to sell this wine at, you know? So, so like, Oh, okay. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, we got screwed by the big company, but it allowed me con- to connect with the people who are actually that that I actually wanted to sell to in the first place directly. You know, so so we've established, you know, we established like really good relationships with these guys. We shipped them good wine, and mm-hmm. and they're selling it. You know, so, so once you set up that initial meeting, I mean, these guys they basically just trust you, and they're like, oh, okay, I'll just take whatever wine. 
that that you choose mm-hmm. you know as long as you can provide me like the good marketing materials etc which we do and we translate all the all the stuff from from english and you know we do it in illustrator or photoshop or whatever mm-hmm. you know and they're they're happy like they, they got their stuff and you know they got it at a low price because i'm literally showing them like this is what i'm paying for see that's that's amazing well let me ask um so what happened to the initial what is it a 20 foot container so okay so so that container I, I i basically distributed amongst these franchise owners okay you know and and they they love it because it's you know it's literally like a third of the price that they were paying for equivalent wine that right. i was selling to them and, and so you know they were really happy to get it because because i i take my markup but i leave most of it for you know the the the, the final point of sale right Right. You know, so I'm I'm focused on volume, and they're focused on on margin. Right. Know? So so everyone everyone's happy. I mean, if you cut out the exporter, if you cut out the importer, if you cut out the the, the big distributor, if you cut out all those guys, there's actually a lot of profit in the middle. I mean, if we're going by market price, you know. So so yeah, I mean, like these days, I feel like you know, because I'm in the U.S. a lot more now, it, it's tough for me to continue to service these clients. Mm-hmm. The ones that we have really good relationships with, I mean, I, I just I still ship them wine from time to time. But mm-hmm. you know, in order to continue to grow our business, I think it's it's difficult for me to continue doing it while I'm in the U.S. So so you know, like in the meantime, we're transitioning to this retail model. I mean, because we still have our our warehouse there, we still have our uh, fulfillment staff there, oh, our wow. customer service staff is still in China. So so they're all there, but they're unable to uh, get new clients. You know, because all these new clients are potential new clients are like these big bosses, you know, and big bosses don't don't talk with underlings. You know, they want to oh, talk with the boss. Oh, okay. Right. So you, so you, so, you got to start flying down there again. Yeah. So either either I start going over there a lot, which I'm not really willing to do with two young kids. I got to do their schooling, and I got to be a soccer dad. Right. You know, so so we're transitioning <laughs> to a retail model, which allows us to outsource a lot more of the stuff. You know, and we can control our marketing in the U.S. You know, because it's all through, um, it's all online these days. So, what, what, what exactly do you mean? What's the breakdown for a retail model? So, I mean, like retail, as in we're selling to the end user. We're selling to the, the direct, person actually direct opening. Consumer. Right, exactly, direct to consumer. So, so in that case, I mean, consumers. I mean, it's it's more about loyalty. You know, it's it's like. I, I know this company or I know this WeChat channel sells good stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to keep buying from them. I mean, you see it in the U.S. now, actually. A, a lot of wine is being sold through these. Um, uh, there's there's a site that I really like. It's called Som Select. So it's like a, a sommelier who's really good at picking wine, and he sells a, a, a new wine every day, right? So it's just huh. it's literally just one wine per day. You know, if you if you know um, Woot.com, they, they got – they, they were really popular in this kind of model. You know, they offer one product at a time wow. and that's all you can. So, I mean, as a, as a business owner, as the fulfillment, I mean, that's, that's much easier, you know? And, and if you think about it as a consumer that doesn't know much about the product, like choice is actually like difficult for them. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so literally the brand, you know, the, like the brand that we're pushing now is not about our wine brand. It's actually about me as a brand. You know, my ability to select wine that you should like as a, as a consumer, you know, so it's much easier to control that message and to work that branding, you know, rather than trying to sell the brand of these, you know, big wineries or, or even small wineries, 
you know, is because there's so much of a disconnect between the producer and the consumer, mm-hmm. you know, but if I'm standing on the pers- at the perspective of the consumer and I'm like, hey, I, I have a little more knowledge than you in wine. Let me go get some good stuff for you. Right. You know, and there you go. Well, let me ask you this. Um, what uh, are there other yous <laughs> that you're seeing <laughs> pop good up? Question. Um, yes. And the issue is they're all in Shanghai. Okay. Or, or Hong Kong. Right. So so those are like the two centers of, of wine in, in Asia. And Hong Kong has the advantage of having no import taxes. So so basically, like most of the wine flows through Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Shanghai is like the main center of China. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, the finance, the, the high end, the luxury center of China. Mm-hmm. We're way up in Siberia. You know, yeah. So, you know, and, and again, people are more willing to trust like the local area. So, so yeah, I mean, like we've been able to get good business just because we're so far away from everyone. I mean, literally we're like, um, like Pittsburgh, you know, or, or even like a suburb of Pittsburgh, like a small area of Pittsburgh. But the nice thing about China is that even those small cities have literally like three, four million people, right? you know, yeah. so, and, and they all need to drink. You know? So there's, there's Ch- a market Ch- for everything. Chicago is a town in China. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, so if you look at like the Bay Area, which is what, like if you added up San Francisco, San Jose, it's like 20 million people, right? But that's, right. you know, that would be like a, a good sized city in China. Mm-hmm. Is there ever a situation where people are shipping into Hong Kong, uh, avoiding the the import tax, and then uh, moving it over to other places within China? Uh, yes. And, and that's, I mean, that's for like the high end stuff. So, so if we're talking like, if, if I'm going to bring over a bottle of like 1982 Lafitte, mm-hmm. which is supposed to sell for like 4,000, 5,000 US dollars, right. Mm-hmm. I'm going to pay like a truck driver to like pinch it between his legs as he drives through the border. So the custom staff don't see it. Right. <laughs> and, and that actually costs about 10 US dollars to do. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's companies that do that. So when you're talking about that kind of wine, yeah, it's worth it. And that's where you hear like the, the people with iPhones strapped to their chest that are walking across the border. Like that's that's what that is. Wow. You know, but if you if you need to bring in any sort of volume, like anything that's like over a couple of cases, you know, it's you, you gotta go through the legit channels. Mm-hmm. And I mean, of course the legit channels have their issues too. You know, like th- there's this one there's one time when we brought in some like, you know, pretty decent wine, like eighty US dollars a bottle. Mm-hmm. And the insurance that we had on it, you know, that amount of wine magically disappeared as it was going through, you know, the, the, the necessary channels, you know. So, <laughs> so, I mean, no one lost money, and I guess some some people were drinking quite well <laughs> in the middle. <laughs> wow. I mean, there's just a lot of these things that happen, and, you know, it's for 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 an American who's used to laws and procedure and you know, customer service, you know, these things are really out of the ordinary and really like, you know, it, 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 it discouraging, you know, but it's like, if you're, if you grew up in China, you know, it's not just China, it's like Vietnam, it's, you know, these, these kinds of countries, like mm-hmm. there's a lot of other unwritten procedures that you must go through, you know? So like, like slipping some cash to the right people, mm-hmm. you know, to the point where it's like expected. Like if you don't do it, they'll be like, "Well, I'm not going to help you." Right. You know, so, and that's just like a part of the culture. But you know, to 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 like a Westerner come in and it's really difficult. But luckily, again, we had we had the right help, 
you know, and the right help had the right connections. Right. So, so they were able to explain all this stuff to us. And I'm like, yeah, I just play along, just go for it, you know. And, and again, in the in the beginning, the most important thing to me was not protecting margin, but to get this going, you know, like to mm-hmm. complete this transaction at all costs. So, you know, once we get it going, then you can try to, you know, cut out, you know, whatever you need to cut out and try to work on your bottom line. But once you get that set up, I think that that first shipment, you know, and getting your customers, all that was like really crucial to this whole process like we we you know overpaid by a lot but right. we ended up you know every every time we brought in more wine and it was you know it cost us less and less and less and it was faster and faster right you know so our our old-time customers like they they see that and they're like okay yeah i can keep working with this guy because he's you know he, he's he's really working at it he's working hard he's concentrating you know and they do that they trust you a bit more and you just keep it going okay so uh, i guess my one of my final questions would be so throughout this whole process, what would you say are the three main things you've learned from this? Oh, jeez. Um, You're on the spot, Jerry. So, <laughs> no, no, no. It's good. Um, so, so the first thing I, I, I and I, when I was getting started, I, I always thought about this: is when I was in college, you know, I was a bio major in college, and and I, you know, studied my ass off, mm-hmm. and and you know, I went to UC Santa Barbara, which is you know, back then it was the the drinking party college to be so Mm -hmm. you know we'd go out and and get hammered and what i realized was that that was more of an education than the actual education you know what i mean like like me going out and and socializing and and getting wasted with people that i don't know Mm -hmm. was was more important to me as a you know as a learning experience than the actual like I'm going to learn, you know, about DNA, you know, and protein, right? right? Because what ended up happening was, you know, when you're, when you're doing business, I mean, literally it's about connections. It's about networking. It's about when you, when you're talking to them face to face, anytime you meet someone, anytime you talk to someone face to face, it's like a negotiation, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, it's a, it's, it's an un, undescribed, unwritten power struggle between the two people, you know, trying to establish, you know, what what kind of person they are you know can i trust this person can i do business with this person right so you know so so i got i got a lot better at at you know first impressions i got a lot better at talking i got a lot better at you know keeping the conversation going and all of these things that weren't taught in classroom right and that actually became more important you know to to business um so so that was what was your question again about three things? Three things I learned? Yeah, that's one. <laughs> okay, so so I learned that, you know, yeah, it's it's networking is more important. Number two is uh, chasing trends is is a risky game. Okay. Okay, because I mean and, and we can say the exact same words for cryptocurrency, right? It's if you if you FOMO, if you you know fear of missing out on stuff, you tend to get burned. Right. Right? So you know, the, the best successes that I've had were me taking the time to do the research, to talk to the people that are actually impacted by this thing that I'm researching. So I would talk to consumers. I would talk to these these wine retailers like, hey, what what difficulties are you having? Like, what what did you wish your supplier, your wine supplier did or, or you know, what, what sort of wine do you want to sell? You know, like- rather than taking what you know this franchise gives you like what do you actually want to sell you I know like so that. once i once i understood that 
then I went and got that wine for them. You know, like you understand your customer. I guess this is, you know, pretty, pretty obvious for people that are you know, in business, but you, you have to know what your customers want and then you deliver what your customers want, you know, and ideally it's something that, you know, exceeds their expectations. And luckily the supply of wine in, in, in Northern China mm-hmm. was, you know, so poor at that stage, you know, that the supply and the cost. You right. know, was, was so poor such that I was able to, you know, drastically improve both of those things, you know, for, for our customers there. So, I mean, when you present such a strong package to them, it's, it's sort of a no brainer, you know? Right. I like so, that. So that was the it's, second thing. it's sort of like fundamentals instead of fads. Right. Right. You know, and if you chase trends and which is, I mean, kind of what we were doing when we first got into wine, you know, like you, you get burned if you don't really dedicate yourself to the trend you know so i feel like like with with cryptocurrency even like like we could have gotten burned really bad yeah if we kept chasing the wrong things but but like i i made the most by doing that research by finding these like other other coins you know or, or other wines or whatever you know and you know I, I i felt like you know in china that people should be increasing their expense per bottle right like the volume should be coming down and they should be drinking better stuff Right. But they still don't have the money to blow on like a Napa Cabernet. Mm-hmm. So so I looked for wines that had a similar flavor profile but were much lower in cost. You know, so for example, Washington State has a really high like average quality of wine mm-hmm. at a lower cost than California. You know, California the, the range of quality is a lot bigger. Washington's a little better in terms of quality, but it's, it's much lower cost, you know? So we started pushing Washington wines and that actually worked out really well. That's cool. Cause Washington and, and Northern, uh, California just aren't that far away from each other. Um, yeah. are there some like climate similarities that, uh, that make it easier? Um, the, I, I guess you could say, um, these days, you know, because of global warming, um, the further North, the, the, the Northern regions, Mm-hmm. The, the quality of wine there is getting a lot better, you know? So like, for example, Champagne, which is, uh, one of the northernmost wine regions in, in, in France, mm-hmm. like their, their wine has been consistently getting better over the past you know, decade because the weather is better because it's warmer, you know, wow. they're much more, much less likely to have a poor vintage because it's getting warmer and the grapes are getting riper and if the grapes get riper, they express more flavors. Right. You know, so so Washington is actually unique in this sense is that it's really dry there and they get like really long days because it's mm-hmm. more north mm-hmm. and because the you know it's getting a little warmer like those cool days you know are, are less frequent those rainy days are less frequent and you know the overall quality is just going up you know so, so yeah. <laughs> well that's one of the first good things I've heard in a while about uh, global warming oh yeah definitely. <laughs> global warming is great for northern countries <laughs> Northern northern areas. Now, has it gotten too hot for say uh, Southern California? Or, Excellent know? question. I, I I believe so. You know, and um, Napa. You know, it, if you the, the harvest of, of grapes used to be in like mid to late September, mm-hmm. and these days it's like mid August. You know, wow. and so now it's sort of like you know when you bake a bake a cake or bake pizza or whatever like you don't want the temperature to be too high like you want it to be say 400 for you know x amount of time rather than 500 at half the time right you know because if you bake it too too hot too quickly like you you lose out on some of the more delicate 
flavors, you know, and that's that's definitely true with wine. It's like, you know, you, you want like a long ripening process rather than like a short, hot ripening process. You know, you get more more expression out of out of out of wine like that. That's a perfect analogy. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, the the issue again with the northern regions is that before some years would be cold and wet and the grapes wouldn't ripen enough and it would be up to the winemaker to do some magic, you know, on, on the grapes. Mm-hmm. But these days there's less magic required or if, you know, if they do more magic, like it's the wine comes out better. Okay. You know? So it's it's kind of exciting these days, you know, if you're talking about like champagne or Alsace or like the Loire, you know, these like more northern regions in France, they're, they're putting out really, really great wine. Right. Okay. So, uh, so that's two. What would be your, uh, your third lesson? <laughs> so number three and, and okay, I'll, I'll take a risk here. Um, <laughs> I, I feel like in everything that I've read in, in business, whether it's I don't know whether it's like Gary Vaynerchuk, you know, or, or those like old school business books, you know, they, they always talk about like the grind mm-hmm. and I, I hate the grind. You know, it's, I think, I think my, my entire like MO is like, I hate grinding. Right. Me too, man. Because the grind implies to me that there's some inefficiency, right? right? Is, is that the grind entails that we must push forward you know, on, on something that we might not like to do that, you know, may, might not seem like it's working, but if we keep it up that it'll work eventually. And, you know, maybe I'm mischaracterizing it, but, but I mean, what, what I said, like, I hate that, you know, and and I think a lot of people were, you know, found success this way. Mm -hmm. That's, that's not something I could ever do. You know, it's like, I'm miserable the whole time, you know, and, and it's just, like I'm not that kind of person, you know, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be true to myself these days. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, to me, I, I just hate inefficiency. So whenever I find like I'm grinding out something inefficient, like I just quit and mm-hmm. I find a better way to do it, you know? So, you know, for example, if we had stuck with this franchise, we probably would have come out to be one of the top stores in their, you know, in their network. You know, because I was one of the only guys in the entire system that had like a wine education. You know, I could speak at length with knowledge on wine. Mm-hmm. You know, we had a wine we had a wine uh, school and everything. You know, but but it just it, it felt like a terrible grind. You know, if we wanted to keep doing that, so so I just looked for a better way to do it. And you know what? More importantly, you would have entered into an agreement with someone that was you felt was screwing you and they they i guess they were right and yeah. uh then as you become more vested in them now you're really screwed yeah exactly so so it's sort of like like digging your own grave you know mm-hmm. and and yeah i mean if you keep digging you might strike gold but i'd rather not do it that way you know so i mean definitely there's i i feel like there's a lot of things that would have worked out if i had just kept pushing Mm-hmm. But again, that's just not something I'm, I'm happy doing. So, so my my thing has always been like to to find new ways, to find more efficient ways to do things. I mean, our entire business is built on this idea of like the system is inefficient. We're going to make it more efficient. Like I'm the exporter, I'm the importer. You know, like I save a lot of the cost in the middle, mm-hmm. and our customers love us for it. You know, so so why not be more efficient if we're not tied to anything? 
you know so and and this might this might come bite me in the ass later you know when we're not able to scale to a to mm-hmm. a greater degree but mm-hmm. but in the meantime you know being small being agile and lean and you know has has served us well you know so it's yeah i i, I hate the grind i hate inefficiencies and you know maybe people will disagree with me on this but but i've you know it, it's worked out for me you know, yeah. probably, probably because i feel like that's the kind of person i am and you know, so be it. <laughs> yeah. What, a, what the beautiful thing is that um, you had a, a few different worlds sort of collide, right? And you took yes. advantage of that opportunity. And uh, the reality is that if you focus on uh, handling or solving inefficiencies always, that will be the best way to scale anyway. So I was thinking about this earlier. You know, like these days, there's a lot of um, like racial tension. You know, and there's a lot of like like you know that whole thing with. Um, like yeah. Asian people aren't getting paid the same in Hollywood or, or whatever. Like right. there's always something we can, you know, talk about that's holding us down. There's always some like outside force that's preventing us from, you know, being amazing. Right. Mm-hmm. But if we continue to focus on these things, like we're never going to get anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if we get to the point where like the system is so set up to be perfect that everyone can succeed, then that means no one's going to succeed. Right. You know, it, it's it's in these inefficiencies, it's in these difficulties that that you find opportunity. You know, so so for example, like I could have said, you know, hey, I my my Chinese isn't great. It's you know, I I, I sound weird. You know, I I speak with a non-local accent. Mm-hmm. You know, and and hey, you know, these guys aren't going to trust me. I don't know how to I don't know how to like pay off the right people, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. You know, I could have made that my excuse and just said, oh, it's too big of a risk. I'm not going to do it, you know, but because I chose to focus on my strengths, like, hey, these guys trust me more because I'm American you know, mm-hmm. rather than make it more. Di- yeah, it's more difficult. But, you know, in in those difficulties, there's advantage to be to be had, you know. So. So, yeah, I mean, just stop making excuses. I feel like Gary Vaynerchuk talks about us all the time, you know, in in more profanity. But. <laughs> But, you know, just stop making excuses. Just do look at the cards that you're you're dealt and, and play the hand the best that you can, you know. And if that game sucks, then find a way to cheat, you right. know, and just keep keep playing the game that other people don't want to play and you'll find your niche somewhere. Yeah. Well, Jerry, um, you know, it's been a fantastic uh, conversation. I, I really uh, I didn't know pretty much any of this. And uh, I'm glad you sat down with me. I, I had fun too. It was uh, I, I I relish any opportunity I have to talk about myself. <laughs> Good. I will continue to find people for this podcast that love to talk about themselves. That uh, that's the new direction. <laughs> but yeah, Jerry, it's been a fantastic. I've gotten some great insights out of this. I really appreciate you uh, you coming on. I know you're busy with your your two kids. Selecting which private school they're gonna have to go to. Oh yeah, that's all. That's all this week's been about. Selecting which fixer up you're gonna move into. Yes. And uh, yeah, the real estate game is an entirely different bag of worms. <laughs> so yeah, so again, it was great talking to you and talk to you on Facebook about crypto sometime. All right, we'll do. Thanks, John. All right, have a good one. All right.